<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. <laughs> I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again because it's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie, too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Picture. Oh, Pick God, Pick. I know. That- <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. What? Our weekend entertainment. (laughs) I was trying to be a bit more chipper than normal, but I guess I won't. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. It wasn't that. I I was trying to be articulate. Yes, that is something you struggle with, the articulation. Yeah. <laughs> Tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Okay. I'm Ellen. <laughs> I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And don't say I didn't tell y'all that we are in the thick of things with great films. The theaters and streaming services are putting out the movies that we'll be hearing about all during awards season. And if you're not a Patreon member, you missed last week's episode where we talked about Causeway, starring Jennifer Lawrence, and The Wonder, starring Florence Pugh, two performances generating early Oscar buzz. And if you'd like to hear us talk about those movies, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome to subscribe. For this week's episode, it's another double feature, so grab that extra large popcorn. One film featuring a semi-autobiographical movie from one of the most iconic and successful American film directors in the history of cinema. And the second telling the story of the heroic women who brought to light the crimes of one of the most powerful men in the history of cinema. First up is The Fablemans, directed by Steven Spielberg, who co-wrote the screenplay with Tony Kushner. In this film, Spielberg is mining his own youth for inspiration as we head back to the 1950s to follow the story of Sammy Fableman, a young kid who aspires to become a filmmaker, reckoning with the complexities of his dysfunctional family as they move for his father's work from New Jersey to Arizona and finally to California. Gabriel LaBelle plays Sammy, Michelle Williams plays his mother Mitzi, Paul Dano is his father Bert, and Seth Rogen plays family friend Benny. The Fablemans asks the question, in the push and pull between following your heart's deepest desire and tending to the responsibilities you have to your loved ones, can you choose happiness without causing pain to those around you? First impressions, Helen. Yeah, so this movie opens with little Sammy being taken to the movies for the first time by his parents. And I I have always loved movies and had, you know, loved the experience, have always loved the experience of going to the movie theater. And we see that train crash scene happen in The Greatest Show on Earth. And it looks so corny to mm-hmm. us now. Mm-hmm. But you've never seen anything like that before. It would be incredible. Yeah, in 1952, that was genuinely a really incredible thing to have mm-hmm. seen yeah right i have never really considered how like monumental that would have been mm-hmm. mm. yeah i mean this film just immediately reminds us how formative those experiences can be for mm-hmm. those who really love film mm-hmm. obviously that's all of us we are here doing this film podcast mm-hmm. and we all connected to it you know we've all pursued certain 
careers or or aspirations or passions with film as well right so this spoke to me right from the beginning look i knew i would love this movie before (laughs) i even went to it spielberg's one of my favorite directors he just has a way of capturing the like imagination of the youth and the magic of the world when you're seeing it through those eyes i've always loved it and i went to see this at 9 55 a.m at like the mm-hmm. earliest showing I think I've ever gone to a movie theater and it that was kind of so perfect yeah. it was but I loved it it was like oh I'm just gonna make a little coffee date and get a croissant Aww. and sit here and watch this movie and it was the it was great yeah that opening sequence when Sammy is watching that the train crash and you just see how powerful that was in the eye through the eyes of that kid I was already in tears so Aww. yeah <laughs> How about you, Sinclair? Well, it's it's funny because when I saw this trailer, I was shedding a little tear mm. every time I saw this trailer because I actually really, really love kids in awe at the mm-hmm. movie theater because mm-hmm. I've been that kid before. Mm-hmm. I still am that kid in the movie theater. I am yeah. still in awe at, at movies when, when I go and... That's just something that really does resonate with me. Seeing Spielberg as a kid watching a movie and being in awe is special in a lot of ways because we as kids watch Spielberg movies. In That's that right. Way. Yeah, yeah. E.T., and, Jurassic um, Park. Yeah. yeah. So I actually really liked the opening of this film because you have that connection to him in a way where it's like, but you, then you go on to make that for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing Jurassic Park in the theater Same. and experiencing so many emotions, <laughs> you know, watching E.T. and feeling movie magic. And this is a director that has made real movie magic. Yeah. You know, that being said, the further this movie went on, the more distance I felt from it. But at the beginning, this really resonated with me as a film lover. Mm-hmm. Mm. Why don't we jump right into storytelling? There's been much made of over this being semi-autobiographical about it being about, you know, Spielberg's story of his own youth or a, mm-hmm. a retelling of his own childhood and what led him to become a, a filmmaker and how he got passionate about it. This is really about why he makes movies. Mm-hmm. It's it's personal. It's not just personal because it's sharing the the narrative of what happened with his family, but it's also the why of like the Spielberg's why. Why does he make movies himself? And I found that really fascinating. Um so yeah, I just feel like this film really encapsulates him and the, this overarching theme throughout his whole career of like why he makes the films that he mm-hmm. makes and why he makes films in general. Yeah, obviously Spielberg's parents' divorce really shaped him as a filmmaker. And you you see that throughout his filmography. It's a thread that's being subtly weaved through all of these different stories. Like E.T. was supposed to be a divorce story. It has elements of that. It is something that has been there throughout his filmography. Also kids seeing things that adults don't see. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. inner world of children. What I realized when I watched The Fablemans was that I would rather see the influence of Spielberg's parents' divorce in his films, the influence of it, than actually seeing the divorce. Mm. <laughs> the same thing with Stephen King. He he does this with alcoholism. Alcoholism mm-hmm. is throughout mm. all his stories, especially The Shining. 
and it's like metaphorically weaved through mm. his storytelling and it's something that shapes his art and I really love that and I appreciate that but what I realized is I would rather see alcoholism metaphorically come to life mm. in The Shining than actually see Stephen King's mm. alcoholism or his experience with that mm. literally I felt that way while watching The Fablemans, where I like the influence more than actually watching it. And it's mm. really hard to critique a filmmaker that does a film that's very personal to them yeah. mm. and kind of something that exposes something about themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite hard to critique. I almost don't want to in a, in a lot of ways. But at the same time, I feel like literally seeing it didn't resonate with me as much as metaphorically seeing it as a thread that weaves throughout mm. his films if that makes sense yes so this was a script he started writing in 1999 with his sister Anne mm -hmm. and then it was titled I'll Be Home he shelved it I think because I think because it felt too personal sort of revealing his parents divorce and he didn't know if they would be comfortable with it and I, I do wonder what this movie would have been like if it actually came out in the 90s <laughs> or the early 2000s mm -hmm. versus yeah. now. Because there was definitely a part of me that felt like this is not for now. Mm -hmm. That it, I, I don't, I, I, it didn't feel super impactful watching it in 2022 just because I feel like we've seen this story many times and it is his his per very personal story but i am curious what it would have been like to see it when he initially wanted to make it and it got me thinking about art and why we make art and why we make art at the time that we do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know that's a big question like why now mm -hmm. and i think it is probably significant for him as a filmmaker to make this film now mm -hmm. but I think for, you know, my personal experience as an audience member, I'm thinking, why why am I seeing this now? How does this, mm -hmm. what does this do for me? Okay, that's interesting. I, I would, I, it's a really interesting point, and I would be curious to, I, I haven't watched any interviews from him throughout this run. I'm sure that we'll, as we get into Oscar season, we'll get more and more sort of, you know, interviews and profiles and whatever. Spielberg always kind of keeps pretty private anyways, mm. but I am curious what his motivations for why now. But mm -hmm. I think that this film is personal more than just sharing the story of his parents' divorce. I think what it revealed to me as what I was saying earlier is his motivations as a filmmaker, it ties all of it together. Mm. What he's telling in this story is the foundational moment, the catalyst of him in his youth, discovering these truths about his family mm -hmm. and how that shaped everything that he did thereafter. And I think that that's why that's the material that he dives into and the lens through which he tells his story in all of it. It's so much of his films are told through the eyes of a kid experiencing it. And I think it's he, him going back to that source mm -hmm. as like, this is how we try and make sense of the world. Mm -hmm. And he truly does that better than anybody else. So many people try and replicate that from J.J. Abrams to whomever. And mm -hmm. no one can do it quite the same as Spielberg. And so I, I, I really love that. I also think that a lot of people during COVID just had a lot of time to self-reflect. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And this did get finalized in COVID. Like, I think this yeah, was a COVID like, baby. <laughs> this is something that 
has come from a time of self-reflection and there was a big surge of films you know in the last couple of years that are directors doing like autobiographical works mm-hmm. this well, is a trend are right now their, <laughs> yeah people are were sort of fi- faced forced to reckon with their mortality in a way that they maybe hadn't been in such a sort of visceral manner you know yeah. in the past i'm sure that spielberg's lockdown didn't look quite the same as yours and mine <laughs> but he still ultimately was in a lockdown for a chunk of time in the mm-hmm. pandemic you know edison you said to me after you saw this film you said you know sinclair i really liked this film but you know i think that you will have some critiques yeah <laughs> Which to me means that you watch this and you could see things that maybe I wouldn't like about the film. But at the same time, when I think about that, I think that that is you also recognizing that there are some issues in this film that will maybe be problematic for some audience members. And I, when I watch these these movies, like I need to say I haven't liked a Spielberg film since 2002. Really? Yeah. I went through his filmography today and I was like, wow, I haven't liked a Spielberg film since Minority Report. (laughs) For me, that's really disappointing. And I think that with his movies as of late, the magic is gone. I I feel like it's a director that is stuck in the 90s. His filmmaking style and his stories haven't really grown with the times and I don't know if that's what's impacting it but as I get older my relationship with watching him has become a bit distant because I I don't see authenticity and I don't see real people in his films anymore and I, mm. I am actually curious what you saw in this movie and what you thought that I wouldn't like about it because I feel like I'm beating a dead horse with what I don't like about some of these movies around this time of year mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. know like I feel like you could just go back and listen to our episode on the post and just apply it to this movie mm-hmm. apply everything I said about Meryl Streep just to Michelle Williams and there you know it's all said and done yeah. <laughs> you know I feel like I don't need to say these things anymore well, I think that what you're looking for from him is something that you haven't gotten in films. You're lo- you're yeah. looking for a type of gritty, not necessarily gritty realism, but just something that, like you, as you say, reads more authentic. But I, I don't know. I argue that he has made authentic films. Like Bridge of Bridge of Spies was fantastic. Lincoln Bridge of was Spies great. Spies is good. There's like some good performances in it, but I feel like it's become more. It's moved away. From real emotion to manufactured emotion. You feel like there's a veneer over his film. There's a veneer now. And there wasn't before. You know, you watch. I watched E.T. for this podcast, what, a year ago, two years ago. And Mm -hmm. I was bawling the same way I was when Mm -hmm. I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, there are real moments of emotion in his films at that time that just aren't there anymore. Well, I disagree Mm -hmm. completely. Yeah. And I'm not sure why you're not connecting to them in the same way. I knew that it would be the veneer that put you off this film because it is present. But mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from the authentic emotion that I felt throughout this entire film. I thought this film was full of understanding and empathy and complexity. And I thought that the... Well, we'll get to the performances. Mm-hmm. But I thought that all of that was there. Mm-hmm. I really felt it, impacted by it. Helen, I was how, crying how did, throughout it. How did you feel? Because yeah. I feel like you're a bit neutral on this because you're not a huge Spielberg fan. 
but you also yeah. don't, you know, haven't been as adverse to him as I have since yeah. 2002, I, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, I do feel like I somewhat missed the boat a little bit growing up. Like, I was a little too young to see Jurassic Park and E.T. Like, I've seen them, but it that it wasn't a for, those weren't formative films for me mm-hmm. as a, a youngster. Yeah. Hook was. Um, oh, love it. Love Hook. <laughs> uh, again, that also speaks to my love of Robin Williams. I didn't dislike this movie, but it truthfully, I probably wouldn't have even seen it if we weren't mm. doing it for the podcast. It didn't do a whole lot for me. The things that I that I liked about this movie were watching him learn how to make films as a young person. Same. Mm-hmm. If I that could was have so seen, cool. yeah, like that to me was really interesting. And it made me think a lot about my own father who did the same thing as a young person. He made his own films. He's cut together film like how Spielberg was doing. And it made me think about my dad. And so that made me a little bit nostalgic and uh, slightly, you know, emotional for in that sense. But the other, the family aspect it didn't tell me or show me anything I haven't already seen so many times. Mm. And this is, I think what's difficult about a very personal story is that people want to tell their own stories and that's fine. And Spielberg of all people can tell whatever the fuck story he wants mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. Right. But because this is so personal, it almost feels unrelatable. Like it feels like he made it for himself. Like I said, the, creation of film and like I uh, that those scenes I really liked but the family stuff I was kind of like okay every family has a story like this this isn't really enlightening Mm -hmm. to me really and that's where I think I felt a bit disconnected from it but I didn't I didn't dislike it I just Mm -hmm. I don't feel super enthusiastic about it see I I disagree I mean I can't Mm -hmm. disagree with how you feel about the film but I don't I don't agree that every story has a every family has a story like this I thought that that love triangle between the three of them is unique we don't often see that we see divorce shown a hundred million times in film of course but we don't see it fundamentally when it's really just a matter of these two people being poorly matched Mm -hmm. and like a poor match for one another when you actually see they yes they're selfish in their own ways and they're you know they're doing that but ultimately they do love and care for one another it's just that mm-hmm. this other person who's been there the whole time if they were <laughs> polyamorous this probably mm. all just would have worked mm-hmm. um, yeah. They yeah, yeah. yeah they should have been they, sh- they, they, ca- they kind should of were been. they, they kind, kind of, of were without knowing I that mean, they were let's bring on this thruple yeah. <laughs> but, like, actually, then it probably would have just worked. Yeah. But, yeah. like, the the dad could have just, like, done his science and been there right. doing all... And then, you know, contributed in the way that he contributes. But it's fascinating because I actually think this film was sort of showing a successful polyamorous relationship that <laughs> fell apart yeah. when yeah. they decided that monogamy was the only way. <laughs> yeah, and just yeah. the time of it and everything. Yeah, yeah. Less, you know, acceptable and... Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, maybe yeah, it could have worked, you know, what could have been. Yeah, I, I agree, Helen. I think that what I really liked about this movie was seeing his brain starting to work yeah. as a filmmaker. And yes. I thought those moments were really special. And the other moments of him Like as when a, he figures out about um, 
the, the like the bullets and yeah that was so cool that was really yeah. good and there's one yeah. really great moment in this where he is using a bunch of bodies in one shot and that, they have to run to I the think other that was shot. my favorite part yes. of the movie and yeah that was also yeah. my favorite moment in the film and I wanted to see more of that because mm-hmm. I think with the angsty teenager stuff the problem with that is that it felt cliche mm. doing that movie now felt a little bit cliche mm. and I think that mixed with Steven Spielberg's style of filmmaking it reads as predictable I watched this movie and the whole time I was thinking I don't believe anybody in this to be a real person I don't Mm. believe anybody would act this way or this would play out this way like everything read false to me and I couldn't get behind this idea of like the eyes of a child or this I couldn't get behind it because nobody felt real I I think that can harken back to someone making a story that is so based on real life and working from memory is that you do get quite precious with it and Mm. I think that the magic or artistry is like oh my god I recreated this thing from memory which for Spielberg would be incredible but for everybody else that doesn't have that in their brain it's not Mm -hmm. because it's like okay like that's you've been able to recreate this experience for yourself but for us and this is what I mean when I say why now it's like okay well yeah this is the thing that happened this is your story and it's Mm-hmm. but it's not super relevant right now. I, I would say the majority of us are children of divorce. Mm-hmm. Like this well, all is, three of this, us are. Yeah, yeah, this is something that we know. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't become Steven Spielberg. So right. this idea of relating to him as this boy going through this didn't really work for me because I didn't become Steven Spielberg. Like there has to be <laughs> some aspect of him that I'm shown more of. I actually right. wanted to see more of his genius. Mm -hmm. to be honest, like really blossoming. Mm. And I think it's really hard to do that without being self-congratulatory. But I already felt like this was self-congratulatory. So I was like, well, why not just tack on what I want to see then? Right. It's it's genius. (laughs) I I agree. It wouldn't have been able to kind of go too much into that without it being like Uh his own jerk off session. Yeah, yeah. But it still felt a bit jerk off with the way yeah. people no, were reacting not to, to me. It. The bully. Let's talk so. about the bully then. Well, I know because I wanted to talk about what the point that you had just made first. And then well, we can talk that, about then. the bully. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Um, I think part of, of what you're saying as well is like, you're right. You didn't become Spielberg. Uh, there's only one Spielberg. And I think that's also part of this is the story like think about Judd Hirsch's character Uncle Boris Mm -hmm. like he literally says it this film is also about the responsibility that you have if you are an innate talent right to Mm -hmm. to pursue your passion it's this about the selfishness of it it's the truth of of all artists or just anyone who's great we've talked about this in film before even if it's it's like a mad detective if they're really like Mm. a Sherlock Mm that like a great detective and Spielberg is one of the absolute greatest filmmakers that we mm-hmm. have ever had. Mm-hmm. It, it's there's a certain truth, and like um, Uncle Boris says to him, "You're gonna pursue this thing. I can see it in you already." And the truth is, and you know it in your guts, it's more important to you than anything, even right. your family. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not a truth that anybody really can grapple with, and that can create a distance b- between the rest of us who maybe don't necessarily 
understand in the same way mm. because we're not greats, obviously. <laughs> but um, I think that that is something that's actually true. And I think that that's a really authentic thing to portray in this. Well, I was thinking about Uncle Boris. Um, oh, fuck. He was and amazing. In his, his scene. I was thinking, well, you know what? Uncle Boris says to little Sammy, you know, you're, you, you will choose your art over your family. And so part of me was like, in terms of inspiration, did Spielberg, after doing, being, you know, pretty much the most prolific filmmaker out there. Mm-hmm. Did he decide to do a movie about his family because he has put his art over his family? And this movie is like Hmm. 90% his family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe he decided to do the movie with the focus on the family because maybe that was the pandemic of it all, right? Yeah. In, in, In it, he was like, oh, wow, right. But then I was like, ah, less family. (laughs) 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 Exactly. "Ah, Less family, though. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. (laughs) I'm thinking about what you said in the beginning, Sinclair, about how you like seeing the influence of the family in his films. I don't don't need the literal. But it's kind of (laughs) like thinking about, you know, horror movies. The idea of the monster is always better than seeing the Jaws. monster. Let's go back yeah. to Jaws, Spielberg. Right. Like, you know, it's, and, it's that. And I think maybe, yeah, that's the effect where it's like, oh, no, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Yeah, I Like, just let it. it exist in your art and yeah. don't make it your art. I don't know. Yeah. But that's just us. I mean, a it, lot of people love this movie. This movie's like has a 93% of Rotten Tomatoes. Like, people people love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah including me. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, okay, so, S- Sinclair, you wanted to talk about the bully. The bully. You know, I thought, yeah. because nothing read true for me in this movie, especially the bully. Um, Wild. Yeah, no, that, that did not work for me at all. The bully what? didn't work, and no. here's why. Because it felt like kind of <laughs> self-congratulatory at this moment, which I don't know if this was intending to be or not, or if that just naturally came out. Maybe it didn't for other people. But when you have the bully and him in this confrontation, and the bully is going, you've made me see who I'm not and who I should be. And it's like, I'm sorry. I don't believe this bully would act that way at all. Like you have to really hope that you're going to have this self-reflective bully that is going (laughs) to understand that a mirror has been held up to him (laughs) and he is being shown his true self through the power of film. And I just didn't buy it. Well, okay. Buy it. Okay, I think that 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 could be. That's probably fair. I'm not sure that you would get this 18 year old bully who is like recognizing in that way. Sure, but (laughs) I will say I think that that was again. Remember, this is Spielberg's story. When he moved to Northern California, he was bullied relentlessly for being Mm -hmm. Jewish. They drew Mm -hmm. swastikas on the sidewalk outside his house. Like it was horrible for him. And I think what he's expressing in this film, in that interaction, is the realization that he actually does have power. Mm. And it exists outside of the ways that we normally see it, which is everything that he captured of that guy, you know, looking like an Adonis playing with the sports or whatever. He was like, actually, with film, I can humiliate, I can idolize, I Mm. can belittle, I can whatever. 
Mm-hmm. I have the power to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's a really incredible moment for a young person to sort of get that sense of, huh, well, fuck you. I can do this. I've got my own way to be strong. Maybe I'm not going to look like you or have that athleticism or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, the, the particular dialogue around that was very on the nose. Yes, I will mm-hmm. concede that. But like, I think what it was capturing was something that was really true and probably very personal to him. Well, and mm. that's the thing is like what it's capturing or what it represents is like really amazing and really beautiful. And I think that that's what I find to be disappointing about this movie is because I love certain ideas and when they don't ring true to me while mm. I'm watching it in the moment, mm-hmm. it's it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into performances. <laughs> All right, let's let's throw on these boxer gloves. <laughs> okay, I mean, obviously, I did not like this Michelle Williams performance. Don't I don't know it. if I'm the only one in the world. I have no idea, but... Probably not. No. I, you know, I... And once again, I'm telling... You know, I know you guys think I like to rant... But I do not like to be critical of people that I love. Right. And mm-hmm. I love her. I do. Yeah. And yeah. I hate being critical of her. It hurts me <laughs> deeply because no. she's an actress who has moved me mm-hmm. emotionally so many times. Yeah. That now, you know, in these past couple films that she's done over, you know, the last couple of years... I feel a distance from her, too. I feel like I don't see a person anymore. I just see a veneer and a performance, and she hasn't moved me emotionally, and it's it sucks because I really like her, truly. And I just yeah. felt like this was a caricature. This is a very odd performance. It's odd. It's super odd. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Edison? Yeah, like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. It worked for me because of the film that she's in. It worked for me because she's a concert pianist who never... she What she's representing is the artist that never actually did pursue her thing. It worked for me because the rest of the film is shot in this way and is kind of bold and vivid in this way through the eyes of a kid. It worked for me because of the film. Mm-hmm. The, the performance itself has pitches that go between like level 10 and level 3000. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> That is the truth. Uh-huh. And and I think in another film, in a more naturalistic film, it would have read entirely untrue to me, but it worked in this one. And there were moments that blew me away with their heart, how heartbreaking they were. That scene when he takes her into the bedroom closet mm-hmm. to show the found footage that he had mm-hmm. put together of her and Benny. And the camera doesn't even show the footage on the wall yeah. in the closet. It just holds on her on a close-up for like 40 seconds straight. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, that is a moment where she's not doing much. It's a close-up. It's not right. a big moment. Yeah. But in that moment, all of the emotional truth is there and vulnerability and pain. And it's brilliant. And I was weeping in the audience. So I thought she had moments that were breathtaking. And there were moments that were very big. But they still worked for me. They didn't. They didn't take me out of the authenticity of the character. I guess, but I can understand how they mm-hmm. would. Yeah, I mean, it, as I was watching it, I thought to myself, she had to have been directed to do this because this, those aren't choices that one would make out of a acting pull. Like, as in, you don't, you wouldn't make those choices for no reason. There's a reason she made those choices. I imagine. Mm. 
And it makes me think that maybe that is what the, his mother was like. And mm-hmm. she's trying to play closely to that. But again, I think that's where it, it there's a bit of a disconnect between Spielberg's personal experience and the audience because we don't know his mom. Yeah. You she's know, when presented she's presented as insufferable to us. Right. Like when <laughs> like when when Michelle Williams played Marilyn Monroe, that's a broad performance. But everybody knows Marilyn Monroe and knows her mannerisms mm-hmm. and behavior. Nobody knows Steven Spielberg's mom. And mm-hmm. so to see this behavior, it just it made me think, is she manic? Like, is she and maybe well, yeah. she was like, but it just that doesn't really get addressed. She just like has these bursting moments of very odd dialogue that I think it did. It, it, it distracted me more than it helped me engage into the film. OK, so this is what I want to say about <laughs> Mitzi. OK. <laughs> Yes. This is actually one of my favorite types of characters to see portrayed. It is hard to do because they're a lot and they're not likable. But this is the classic never got to be a star Mm. or got to be a star and has become a fading Mm. star. And this is my favorite type of character to watch. Of course, Dame Helen Sinclair. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And also, but like Norma Desmond (laughs) is one of my favorite movie characters of all time because it is big, but it is so sad. Mm. And I could see the influence behind this performance but I could not see the person Mm. like I could see the impression Mm. and I could not see the person. I didn't see moments of real sadness. I just saw performance and I think it's a hard thing to play, but there is so much humanity behind these types of women. And I just, I didn't, I didn't see it. So I ended up just being annoyed by it. And if you don't (laughs) see the humanity, then these characters are annoying and insufferable. Mm. And this movie is 90% Mitzi. Okay. 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 (laughs) But I will say as well, those other characters that we're talking about, those performances are after they've already been broken. But they could also be performed too. Like little Edie. I thought of little Edie. As, yeah. as well, you know, like never fully made it big, but still has that like quality to them, that star quality they're trying to yeah. live out. It's the most heartbreaking type of character. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I was going to say, I really liked Gabriel LaBelle. Me too. Um, I thought that he was able to play this young person becoming an adult, discovering things quite well like it didn't he didn't feel corny or cheesy or cliche to me his performance felt like just very raw and uh, affecting i i actually really liked him me too i absolutely loved him he's carrying this film right he's Mm -hmm. he's the heart of the whole thing and like i thought he was great the standout for me of everybody like i thought that judd hirsch as uncle boris (laughs) really like that one He's in one sequence for like 10 right. minutes of the movie. And that whole interaction with Sammy in the bedroom, that's an example of like, that's a, he is, it's a big performance. Mm-hmm. And then he's quiet and then it's huge. It's like he's juggling a grenade. And it's, could be just so fake or so, I don't know, loud or preachy or whatever, but it rang dead real to me. And 
I was completely blown away. Like, I would be putting him up for a supporting actor for mm. sure. That's exactly what a supporting actor role is. I, I liked yeah. what he was saying, and I think he's great too. But I feel like because this is so caricatured to me, this movie, that it's kind of like this young boy just interacting with caricatures. I don't think that this type of movie is would work for you just in general it's just <laughs> I don't know. it's just not your type of film really no. yeah it's not really mine either but I'm a little bit more forgiving you know what though I liked Paul Dano I didn't mind yeah. him I think that you know he's not given a ton but at the same time there are moments where I'm like oh Paul Dano you're a real person like you always come through as a person yeah he, he definitely was a bit more stoic and reserved which I guess you translates as a real person in this context for you. Um, but sure. The rest of them were all very much real people for me too. All right. What's the last word on the Fablemans? You know, I think that this is a really nice movie for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> I do. Like, I actually don't like, I didn't. It's, it's nice. It's nice. It's not, I didn't love it, but it's fine. Wow. Okay. How about you, Sinclair? Um, I refuse to end this segment on a down note, so you'll be going that's, next. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Last word for me. <sighs> Disappointingly, I think this was the blandest movie of the year. Mm-hmm. And there's always one per year. And you know what? Maybe there'll be two. There is Glass Onion coming up. So, oh, that's not going to be bland. That's going to be feel, fun. I feel like uh, this might have some competition. You know, this is what it is. Take your grandma to a matinee. Maybe go to a Christmas <laughs> market after. I'm out. Wow. I'm out. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I did not have the same experience. I thought that this film was a, a really incredibly beautiful film. It was a deep exploration of what it, means to make films it was a personal story from one of the greatest directors to have ever made cinema all about the responsibility of talent and sharing your story and empathy and connecting to your family i thought it was beautiful um i absolutely loved it so there you go that was really beautiful edison Next up, we're heading back to the New York Times headquarters in 2016. Donald Trump has just been elected president of the United States. I know, I know, it's not a point in history we want to go back to, but amongst this era of misogynistic leadership, something is brewing at the Times. Investigative journalist Jody Cantor is piecing together a story about the dark side of Hollywood, a story that goes back as far as the 90s. A story that has been quieted by settlements, blacklisting, and non-disclosure agreements. A story masked by celebrity speeches and red carpet glamour. This story will expose a Hollywood gatekeeper. A man who controlled careers, ruined lives, and left his victims in a sea full of silenced castaways. This man is Hollywood titan Harvey Weinstein. A playground bully who turns his enemies into vapor with just one phone call. Jody teams up with fellow journalist Megan Toohey, who has gained notoriety from her investigation into powerful men, 
and has experienced the terrifying side that comes along with being the voice of the voiceless. The two decide to lift the lid open on Pandora's box and are willing to step into the hellfire that is sure to rain down upon them. But getting the victims of Weinstein to talk proves to be more challenging than they expected, showing just how much the king of Hollywood's cruelty has controlled those unfortunate enough to cross his path. She Said is directed by Maria Schrader and stars Carey Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. It's a story about where the truth lies and the village of people it takes to expose it, how people are stronger when they are unified, and how taking the first step can set the blueprints for others to follow. She Said asked the question, when we are up against an impenetrable monster, does it actually take more than just one David to beat Goliath? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It sure does. <laughs> well said. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So she said, first impressions, Edison. Okay. Um, so we, well, it opens. We see this young woman in Ireland, 1992, walking along this beach and stumbling upon a film set some type of period piece with English soldiers coming up, you know, on the, onto the beach. And then there's this quick montage of her sort of finding a job on that set and working and getting immersed in film. And it's all happy and exciting. And I was like, Ooh, I love all of this, but you know, like the the (laughs) dread is already starting. And then boom, it cuts to her sobbing, running down the city street. It's a super jarring transition. And then boom, it cuts again to now. Right. Um, I think that that really sets the tone for this film. I think it tells us exactly what we're in for. We know already. The thing is, about watching this movie, we know what happens, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I was hooked right off the bat. I'm really... In general, I love these types of movies, and so I was here for this from the get-go. Yeah, how about you, Helen? Yeah, well, Sinclair and I saw this together this afternoon, had a lovely date, so nice. lovely feminist date to the theater. Yeah, this movie opens with the, the woman in Ireland walking her dog and then runs into this film set and then she's like employed on the set. And I turned to Sinclair, I was like, where'd the dog go? <laughs> yeah, the like dog it was, was just this very odd moment where I was like, wait, what? She was just walking her dog. Now, her, now she doesn't have a dog anymore. What happened? <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I echo the sentiments that you had it. It. I knew I was in for something watching this movie. And so I was kind of just bracing myself. (laughs) Sinclair. Yeah. You know, you see this young girl on a movie set and things seem to be fine. And then it cuts to her crying and clearly something undesirable has happened. And yeah, that is this love hate relationship that I think all of us have with Hollywood as, as film lovers, that there is this, wonderful movie magic as we just talked about with with Spielberg there's this movie magic then there is this dark underbelly to Hollywood Mm -hmm. the curtain has been raised on Mm -hmm. on all of this stuff and I think it's really interesting to be sitting in a a movie and knowing that we're gonna watch a, a movie that is you know from Hollywood talking about the underbelly of Hollywood and I was I was wondering okay well how is this movie that is stemming from the movie industry going to tackle the issues in the movie industry 
it, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a very surreal experience. Yeah, I definitely know exactly what you mean. Let's jump right into storytelling mm-hmm. because I think that taking all of that into consideration, I was also really curious mm-hmm. how this film was going to go about telling this story. Mm-hmm. And I think that they did it the exact right way. Mm-hmm. This is not this is less bombshell and more spotlight (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's less sensationalized more just boots on the ground realism the storytelling of this film is just the reporters doing what they do the Mm -hmm. researching interviewing the slow deliberate unfolding as of their story their tenacities they're trying to put all the pieces together it's it's very grounded Mm -hmm. and it's not sparkly it's not bright there's zero veneer i think for this story that works but more than works i actually think it's necessary yeah Mm -hmm. i i was nervous to see this film i get a little nervous when movies are made about very recent history Mm -hmm. because i sometimes just feel like we haven't let the dust settle enough it's we're in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it too soon? Yeah. Or and... you feel like you're kind of capitalizing or exploring right, something right. that is like a topic now. And yeah. Yeah. But I didn't feel that way with this at all. I I actually love how this story was executed. I angry cried through this entire movie. You did. Sinclair mm-hmm. could test, testify to that. I, I knew that you were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so did I. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. I, I think... I actually think that this movie managed to tell a lot of different stories. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have the main story <laughs> that they're trying to break. But yeah, watching them go through the process of investigative journalism, I th- actually found really fascinating and it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then watching the experience of the women who they want to go on the record and and their lives and how they are grappling with that decision is its own story as well. Mm-hmm. And we get to experience all of that. Like this isn't a surface level account of what happened writing this article and the abuse that Harvey Weinstein had on all of these people. Like this is actually a very well-made complex examining of what would go into breaking a story like this. Like this mm-hmm. is a huge, huge endeavor. And I just, I, I really do think it was done really well and i'm so glad (laughs) yeah helen i i agree a thousand percent this focus on the process Mm. of investigative journalism is critical it's Mm -hmm. vital it lets us see the real importance and and like necessity of Mm -hmm. real journalism to have a functional society Mm -hmm. yeah i appreciate that it's not easy Mm-hmm. it's never easy they're detectives mm-hmm. it's not easy for the people who are involved because they're sharing the most horrific shit that's happened to mm-hmm. them but it's the truth mm-hmm. and we are in a world right now a media landscape where truth doesn't mm-hmm. seem to exist nobody right. can gra- grab hold of what is the truth yeah there will even be people who watch this film and think that it's false i right. know that mm-hmm. yeah. that's discouraging but it is what's the reality And so I think that a film like this that just really shows us these are real people who are passionate and purposeful and deliberate, it's vital. Yeah. I have not been the biggest fan, I think, of journalism movies or newspaper movies. Yeah, truly. Which really, once again, disappoints me because I love the truth stick. 
as we know. I love <laughs> yes, the you truth. do. <laughs> One thing that always reads false to me with with certain journalism or newspaper movies is that it feels like a parody of what a newspaper right. movie would be. I didn't resonate with the post. I did. I didn't resonate with Spotlight. Everything. Yeah, feels, you didn't like Spotlight. No, everything feels very. It feels very like masculine and caricature and a lot of the female characters are generally reduced to just note takers. You know, we mm. see Rachel McAdams in Spotlight just feverishly taking notes. <laughs> and so for this one, I thought all I want to see is just real people acting like human beings, mm-hmm. doing their job, exposing the story that's important giving it some sort of respect and not exploiting mm-hmm. it. And that's what I got out of this movie. Yeah. And I was happy with that. Like, I don't yeah. think that this movie is a game changer in terms of style or it's not going to change not the game of journalism films. But what I wanted to get out of it as a woman watching it, I got. Mm-hmm. So I think it wins in terms of storytelling. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think me. so too. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I also just loved how you really s- get a sense of the pride and purposefulness that these people have in their work. That satisfaction of doing something that you know is genuinely impactful. Like these two women are are actual heroes. Yeah. Yes. Like they literally this story broke. They had no idea. There's no way that they would have known yeah. that it would have actually changed, changed the, world. the world. It yeah. created a global movement that literally changed the world, yeah. or, or at least the Western world, in terms of these types of conversations and men being held accountable for their actions and mm-hmm. women being told you can speak up mm-hmm. and we will listen. It's incredibly powerful shit. Yeah. And that's cool. Like, that's yeah. really, none of us will accomplish anything even remotely <laughs> significant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my favorite superhero movie of the year. <laughs> they also just seemed like women like us. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, it looks like girls that could be your friends yeah. that are just doing a really important job. Also, one thing that I did really love was that they didn't spend too much time on oh, a woman trying to balance her career and being a mother. And it felt very natural with how they yeah. showed motherhood. Like it's evident. It's, it's evident. It's a, it's a yeah. part it's of it. It's not something where it's like a it's, focus but it's not of the like problem. decide. That's not yeah. the problem. And, you know, Helen and I both said to each other, thank God they didn't do any scenes where the husband was like, I need you more. Like you're not here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank God it didn't go in that direction. If there if there could be a sort of critique, I guess it's that the the two women themselves don't don't really have like a character arc per se, like the, it's not mm-hmm. really about them and what they're it's a it's about their work and their mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. But that's not a critique that I would hold. It's more about the story. Right. Like it actually is. It more is about the actually story. more about the story. And I also like that they made Harvey Weinstein kind of on the outskirts of everything, yeah. and like the yeah, focus oh God, yeah. was really about the interviews they were doing and the work that they were doing. Mm-hmm. I think that what's interesting about this is that we do get to see the women who weren't famous actresses that were also affected by this and i actually didn't know that so many personal assistants were 
taken advantage of and victimized yeah. by Harvey Weinstein. I didn't know that. I think a lot of the times we focus on the actresses, but yeah. this movie allows us to see how many people he affected in the industry. It wasn't just these beautiful, mm -hmm. famous actresses. He was taking advantage of assistants. Something else that really impacted me in watching this movie is the assaults are horrific. Luckily, none of that is shown. We don't get any sort of gratuitous uh, assault scene, thank yeah. God. Also seeing how these women's lives were ruined. Like, they couldn't yeah. work again. Some of them tried to kill the themselves. Like, his impact was so much greater than just a sexual assault. Like, he deliberately ruined people's lives. Mm -hmm. And you really feel that in this film. I thought that this film did a, an incredible job at presenting the impact. A lot of the time, people say oh well she got to pay out oh right well, she, whatever, right. whatever right people make crass jokes about it oh i'd do whatever with him too for right. whatever yeah. you know awful shit this film showed the lingering effects the pain mm -hmm. that it carried forward to these women after that it really made them feel isolated in their own world yeah and i thought that was truly powerful that was yeah done in a way that I haven't really seen in other films mm -hmm. either. It was mm -hmm. very just authentic and matter of fact. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, also, you know, this is a question that happens in the film too, where you know, they're kind of questioning well, these are actresses, this is Hollywood, mm. like is this the story we want to focus on? Mm. And actresses have this platform and it just opens up this conversation for people to not say oh well this actress was just in this hotel room with him and mm -hmm. she did that and and she shouldn't have done that and and mm. it's opening up this idea of how much more complicated it is and how yeah. much legality is involved in this and why somebody wouldn't want to go through this legal process of course I think that people need to see the ins and outs of how this actually works and what yeah. this means and how this goes down because it's not a yeah. simple answer. <laughs> no. you know? Yeah, well, and that was something else you and I talked about afterwards, Sinclair, mm -hmm. that I appreciated that depiction of as well of the women and, and you respect their decision. Yeah. If, if you don't want to talk about it, that's your choice. Okay, so why don't we jump into performances? I absolutely loved Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan in this movie. I was, again, I was a little bit worried. It, it might be too showy. It, it, the, that it wouldn't have the nuance that I wanted it to have. And it did. It absolutely mm -hmm. did. Like, and these women felt really lived in. And mm -hmm. I read an interview with Maria Schrader, the director talking about the importance in her casting and how she wanted them like down to like they should know how to type well like type yeah. the way a journalist would type you know but those things do build character yes. the way they walk through the newsroom is part of who they are you know and all of that rang really true for me and it just i was so so glad <laughs> mm -hmm. particularly carrie yeah for me i same was so impressed yeah. like this is not a show neither of these performances no. are showy these are very grounded people yeah. and like i said earlier they don't have a big dramatic character arc i don't think that these are going to be like oscary performances necessarily 
that's fine. I think that they were still incredible. I thought Carrie Mulligan was so, so good in this. Mm -hmm. She has such, like, authority and Mm -hmm. integrity. I loved her in this. Mm -hmm. Loved. I'm just, I'm obsessed with both of them as Mm -hmm. actresses. I think they're both so good. One aspect of their performances I loved was just, it was believable that they didn't have regular nine-to-five jobs. (laughs) You know, like I just saw how it was really hard for them to have work-life balance at all. Mm. Like they would just be answering the phone late at night Mm -hmm. and it did feel really lived in. It felt Mm -hmm. like, oh, they're just out on a Saturday, but they could get a call from someone they want to get a story from. And there were just aspects of doing this job that, look, I don't do this job. I don't know. But for me watching it, it it read true. I mean, it goes back to the conversation in The Fablemans, too. Like, at the end of the day, if you're a reporter, an investigative journalist, and you're working at the New York Times, you're at the very top of your game. Mm. So it's the same thing. You you have your family, you love your family, and all of that, mm. but you don't get there mm-hmm. unless it's your been your priority. Yeah, yeah. I will say the ensemble in this film it is really what made it for me. The supporting mm. roles are so well cast Mm -hmm. and every one of them has a chance to shine like samantha morton especially Mm -hmm. she plays zelda perkins oh my god she was so good that was such a powerful moment and powerful exchange at the bar and it made me realize i hadn't seen her in a while and like she's so good jennifer eel was yeah she was wonderful too yeah i also loved that ashley judd was in this Mm me too she deserves those flowers i yeah agreed as soon as i saw her i got mad because i love ashley judd and i loved how her (laughs) career was just so wonderful and then she disappeared forever and i was like yes you fucking stick it to him yeah (laughs) there's something odd about it because she's playing herself (laughs) yeah but the fourth wall or whatever the illusion of movies can be broken in that sense because it's yeah. deserved and it also just is broken in this movie anyway yeah. it's already yeah. broken yeah. We are, we're already seeing this underbelly so it's like mm-hmm. go for it Judd I love that they gave her this this yeah. role in this of herself I mean she is the one who put her neck out at the beginning like yeah. this truly and she had already been burned for like 20 years at this point right so yeah well deserved Yeah, in terms of technical and just going off of Ashley Judd, there are some interesting like documentary Mm. style elements Mm -hmm. in this that I thought was interesting and and it did work. There is, you know, audio footage that is real of Harvey Weinstein that, you know, we had heard it before, but it is extra impactful when you see it in the film. And you have Hollywood actresses playing characters, but then you also have Ashley Judd in there as well. I thought it worked. I, I, I actually found it to blend pretty well. And because this film felt kind of meta already, I feel like it did work. Mm-hmm. I agree. I thought that that really worked. I, I thought it was actually kind of cool and necessary. Another technical element that I really appreciated was the way that they shot the empty hotel rooms, the hallways, the bathrooms, yeah. and the bedrooms while the victims yeah. were recounting the stories of that. their assault. Like we didn't 
you know, another film would have gone to a flashback visual of the assault. We didn't need that. And it was more haunting and impactful to just see these empty spaces where it occurred. It was so unsettling. Something surprising I read about this script is this is a 200 scene film. Wow. The average movie has 110 scenes. So this is... And, and you feel it like it the scenes aren't long, but it is scene after scene after scene. And it it adds to the pacing of the movie. Like I felt exhausted and um, I felt like I was watching a thriller, even though I knew what happened. Mm-hmm. But I think that's good storytelling, too. I agree. That, that's right. Yeah. Know, we know what happened to Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. We know he's serving jail time. But yeah. there's still an element of this story breaking that feels tense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that there's that's like a testament to Maria Schrader directing and, and the editing of it, like to take a 200 scene film and make it feel cohesive and on the edge of your seat the whole time. Like that's not easy to do, I imagine. <laughs> OK, so what was the what's the last word on She Said Sinclair? I thought this was a really good watch. And I think that this is a good movie that deserves some viewing if you have Mm -hmm. this opinion of, oh, why didn't they just, you know, walk away? Why didn't, why did they settle? Why did they do this? Why did they do that? This shows you the complications of what actually goes on and why people decide to do what they do and how complicated the situation actually is. And I think that everyone should should know that it might change your opinion mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. <laughs> on this subject yeah for me the last word is that i think that you should all watch this movie mm-hmm. this film is important it's not flashy filmmaking it's very basic filmmaking and i actually appreciate it it keeps it about the story itself and nothing else just the facts just the truth and with this story in particular it is so important. It's the right decision, not just because you don't want it sensationalized, but because also you don't want it to be politicized. You want people on the left or the right mm. to both watch this and get it. Mm. This is the movie that's telling this story, mm-hmm. right? It's the one that people are going to come to two yeah. decades from now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go check it out. Yeah, I feel like this should be required viewing. <laughs> I I, you know, there weren't a lot of people in the theater today, but there were a few and there was a few like older men. And I almost wanted to go up to them afterwards and like see what their experience was watching this, because I know that a lot of I think a lot of men don't fully grasp the experience being a woman and being sexually harassed just in general. But I think that this really, really lays it out. Yeah. And so I I am actually really interested to talk to more people about this film and see how they perceived it and how, how it was impactful for them because it was very impactful for me. And this is already subject matter that I like very much ingest already. So yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a Patreon member to support the show and receive special episodes every month, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm I'm Edison. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm Miss Sinclair. And... And...
Oh, oh, and I'm Edison. <laughs> <laughs>